this morning, Rick is preaching from Luke 1, 1 through 25. I'm going to read all of those. <clears throat> Inasmuch as you may have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abia, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife has advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when, they came out, when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I feel like I owe you a special thank you for that one, Kelly. Yeah, good job. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate that. Good morning, everybody. Um, let's, uh, let's pray, and then I want to show you some pictures from some stuff I saw this week, and then we'll dig into the scriptures. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Um, thank you for his sacrifice and his life and his resurrection. Uh, Lord, thank you that we celebrate his resurrection every day, and he's done so much to allow us to be in your presence Father, I, got, I ask you now that you would guide our thoughts and our minds and our attention, that we might focus in on you and what you have to say to us. Um, God, I pray that we would believe, he, even in this moment, that you have something specific to speak to each one of us this morning, um, that you're inviting us into your plan and your purpose um, and your, uh, what, what you're just trying to do in our lives, Father. You're inviting us into that, and I pray you would open our minds and our hearts uh, to, to that idea. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name, amen. Uh, so, uh, this week, if you didn't know, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King was on Wednesday, and uh, me and about 20 guys 
uh, other pastors from the St. Louis area drove down to Memphis for a conference on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we went to the Civil Rights Museum. And I don't know if you know much about the, the whole... So King was shot at 6.01 p.m. on uh, April the 4th. And we were there. There's a big, like thousands of people flooding the streets uh, where he was shot. And so he was shot at the Lorraine Motel. And so people kind of gathered around that area to kind of just pay homage to what was happening. And then, so the National Civil Rights Museum is now in the place of what the hotel used to be. So the hotel is closed, and now that's just a, a museum for national civil rights. And it goes from uh, the foundation of, of, our, of our nation when slavery existed and all the stuff that deals with slavery all the way up until the, the assassination of King. Um, so uh, I took some pictures. I'm, I'm really like, history is really important to me. And so I wanted to, uh, like, not just history, but to be in the places where history happened it's just really powerful to me. So I took some pictures, and I want to show them to you. Um, so Abram, go ahead and, and hit that, that first one. This is the actual hotel room, the actual bed, the actual lighting, and all the stuff is the, is the exact same of where Martin Luther King stayed the, 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 night, before he, the night he was killed. And so he um, had, you might remember seeing pictures. He was on the balcony when he was shot, and so this was his room. So this is right outside of the balcony. And as you're walking through the museum... So it's like there's, there's rooms, and they've, they've cut out a middle room where you can actually walk through there, and there's plexiglass that's b- between me and, and the beds and stuff there. And so you can actually just look in and see. So it's a really cool experience to be where history took place. Uh, Abram, hit that, the next one. Uh, this is a photo that's on the wall in the museum of Dr. King. They found this in, in the room. That's his, uh, you see MLK. You might be able to see it on the top. This is his suitcase uh, for his trip to Memphis. Uh, he was in Memphis that week for, uh, the, there was a, a sanitation workers issue. So the white sanitation workers are being paid a higher wage than the black sanitation workers and doing the same thing. And more than that, the white sanitation workers could, if weather was bad, they could take a day off and still get paid. The black sanitation workers, if the weather was bad and they took a day off, they didn't get paid. And so I think nine or 10 black sanitation workers had died because of just bad conditions of weather that, and they had, if, if I don't go to work, my family's not going to eat, so I'm going to risk it. Um, so that's why he was there. Hit the next one, Abram. Uh, this is, uh, the picture of, uh, James Earl Ray's room. So like across the street from the hotel was a boarding house where James Earl Ray was staying. And this is, you can see some plexiglass kind of on the left side of that. This is where, where he was staying, uh, there to, to shoot Dr. King. And off to the left, you can see uh, a little bathroom, and you can see the, the toilet kind of sitting there and the light coming in from that window. It's that window from which Ray shot King. Um, and so he basically gets up out of his room. You, you get the, there's a dresser there that's blocking the door. So he goes through the doorway, down that hallway to, into the bathroom, and looks out where he can see Dr. King. So go ahead and hit the, the next slide. Abram, I think the next slide is um, yeah, this is his viewpoint, and you can see where that red and white wreath is, is where King was standing when, when he got shot. So that's James Earl Ray's viewpoint from that, that window that you just saw is, is there. And this is all really intense and really cool to be where all this stuff happened a generation ago. Fifty years ago to the day when I was there, uh, King was standing where that wreath is. Um, and this is actually... Uh, April the 5th when I was there. So you can see the, those white chairs were from a, a gathering that had taken place the night before on the actual anniversary. Uh, so hit, hit the next one, Abram. Um, uh, this is 
you can see the, so the building, you see the, the white pickup truck or the white uh, truck just above it. You can see three windows on the top floor. There's a small window and then two large windows. The small window is the window uh, that I, I showed you in the bathroom. So that's the one that he was looking out of. So this is, um, you can see the wreath where King was. I'm inside. To my right was King's room and to my left was the people that he was with room. And, and I'm standing in what used to be a room has now been changed so we, you can see out of it. So uh, that's, that's where the shot came from. One shot was fired from a 30-06 rifle, and he died right there on that spot. And it was incredible to be in that spot where, where Martin Luther King had, had stood and, and was killed. Go ahead and, and hit the next one. Um, this is uh, just moments before uh, Dr. King was shot, and maybe a little bit to, where, to his left, our right of that photo, is where the wreath is and where he'd eventually get shot. So... Um, he was speaking at an event the night, that night, and he, had, he was calling down to someone below him, a saxophone player, asking him to play a particular song during his, his favorite song, uh, Precious Lord. Um, ask him to play that song at the, the gathering that night, and then just a few seconds later, he was gone. Uh, so, um, hit the, I think that's it, isn't it, Abram? Hit the next one. Yeah. Uh, so... Why do I show you all that stuff? One, because I think history is really cool and I want to engage you with that. But two, this, uh, as I was walking through the museum and, and thinking about it on the, on the ride home, considering the fact that like what I was witnessing was pictures, photographs, uh, recollections, stories about all these incredible events that happened a generation before that someone had written down and thought worthy to be written down, to tell the story, an important story of something that happened. And the gospel of Luke is, is, is exactly that. So Luke, I've, I've said, wasn't around, wasn't alive, wasn't an adult when Jesus lived, but he thought it was really important to gather a bunch of facts and, and to be where Jesus stood and to interview a bunch of people. So the book of Luke is the product of, of Luke's study and examination, very much like the book of Luke reads very much like a museum where you are walking through a museum and you're seeing pictures and, and photographs and, and walking through processes and, and, and listening to people tell stories about what had happened. So I want you to, to see that. And, and I hope as you were listening to me talk about those pictures, that we begin to see that there is, uh, there's a plan to it all. Um, and, and that's what, what I want you guys, like the, the big idea, the main focus that I want us to see as we read through the entire gospel of Luke, but in particular today in this message in this, and what we're going to hear today is that God has an incredible plan for us and God is sovereign always. He accomplishes his plan always. And better than that, he's inviting you into that plan. Um, it's impossible to walk through the Civil Rights Museum in the darkness that, of, of our country that that museum illustrates. It's impossible to walk through that without feeling this heavy darkness um, about the, the history of, of who we are as a people. But it's even harder to walk through it without this concept, this idea that God is sovereign, always. 
And he's orchestrating and working out his plan always, even when it looks miserable and terrible and awful. God is accomplishing his plan, and he's inviting you into the plan. So under this idea that Luke's gospel is a museum for us for the life of Jesus, let's look at these verses together. Um, Verse 1, Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Look at that. Like he's, he's inviting you into this museum that he's prepared to show you. These show you his, his photographs, his stories, his pictures of the conversations that he's had. This is a really cool conversation that I had. You guys, the Freedom Riders. You guys remember the Freedom Riders from the Civil Rights Movement? Um, there are a, a bus of people. So there was a White people and black people couldn't ride the same bus, except there was a national law, so an interstate bus. White people and black people could be on the same bus. And so these freedom riders would go from one state to the next so that they could be adhering to national laws instead of state laws. And so they go into states where it couldn't happen, but the international law overrode it, or the national law overrode it. Follow? So these freedom riders are, are, would go f- across the country for weeks at a time just to, to, to speak this message of, of solidarity and, and desegregation. And there's, there's a, a big, uh, I've got another picture of it too, I'll show you later if you'd like to see it, um, of, of one of these buses that just got exploded and, and burned up. And uh, there's a, a big wing of the museum about it, and there's a, there's a bunch of photos of uh, of these freedom riders, they would stop in, in different areas and, and listen and, and, and spend the night with, with people that were, uh, like, loved their cause. And so we're listening. We're listening to this lady tell a story about, hey, I know those people in that, in that photo. People used to stay at our house. The freedom riders used to stay at our house when I was little, when I was, like, 11 or 12 years old. And we're like, wow, that's really cool. But she's like, no, it's those people. Those people have stayed at my house. And so we just kind of followed her around for the rest of the museum trip to think, like, this lady, like, experienced it and, and was, was there. And so the stories that she could tell were way more powerful than the stories that were just reading what was on the, the plaques and the placards and stuff. And, and as I heard her, listened to her talk, this verse jumped into my mind, just as those who were with us from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word to see someone who's been engaged with this. This is the point of of Luke's writing his gospel. Then in verse 5, we start to see maybe some placards of uh, and, and reading some facts, so who, what, when, where, and why of the events that took place. Verses 5 through 11. In the days of the king Herod, of king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Luke is introducing us to the players of the story he's about to tell. This is the the people's pictures that are on the wall. Uh, He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Aaron's important because the descendants of Aaron were the priests in uh, in the Old Testament. The the sons and daughters of Aaron became the priests, and later on they'll talk about how uh, Zechariah was a priest. Her name was Elizabeth. Verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. He's showing us, giving us the, the background, some information before he starts to get deep. Verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Connect with this fact that Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They're old people and they don't have kids and they really want kids. Verse 8, now while he was serving as a priest before God, 
when his division was on duty, again, just facts that Luke is giving to us, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lots to enter the temple and burn incense. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside of the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. I see this idea, this picture, all these facts that Luke has just squeezed into just a few sentences there. He's telling you, he's getting you into this place, just like I was trying to show you those pictures. This is where, where uh, James Earl Ray stood. This is where Martin Luther King stood. This is the, the place from which Ray shot. This is the place where King was standing. So we're, we're, get, we're connecting with the scene of what's happening. And I want you to connect with the scene of what's happening because we're about to see the sovereignty of God on deep display. Verse 12, he transitions here to talking not just about the facts, but about the, the character of God. He zooms out to see the picture of what happened. Verse 12, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. I want to stop for just a second. The most frequent command in all of Scripture that God gives to his people is this one. Don't be afraid. Think about that. The, the most frequent command that God gives to you, and we think, so the, the tendency of the human heart is, to, is the default to religion, and I've got to do something, I've got to follow a list of rules to be able to be in the presence of God, but the single most frequent command that God gives to you is don't be afraid. I welcome you into my presence. Like, think, think about, like, God wants to speak to you, and the thing that he wants to speak to you is you are welcome in my presence. Wherever you are, whatever you think you are, however you believe that God views you, in this moment, today, in the season of your life, you are welcome into the presence of God. Never, ever, ever fear. Did you hear me? Don't ever fear that you're not welcome in God's presence because you always are. Yes, verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Not only does he say, give Zechariah a command, he says, your prayer has been heard. God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. He always hears your prayers, and he always listens, and he always answers. But the cool part, the most incredible part about this that I believe is that God is not absent. Many times, most of, a lot of times in my life, when I'm not paying careful attention, when I'm not zoomed in to who God is and what he's doing and the fact that he has a sovereign plan in my life to bring joy to us, when I'm not zoomed into that idea, I think that God is maybe distant from us. But God is never distant from you. He's not absent. He's engaged with your life and inviting you into his plan. Then verse 14. This is uh, what I think maybe the, the, the coolest verse here that we'll study today. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Living in God's plan brings joy. Living in God's plan brings joy. Like, I feel like the, the, 
the pastor and the um, like the scholar in me wants to break apart this this idea this verse and look deeply at it, but I I think it, we're probably better served to just rest. You will have joy and gladness. Think about it, you guys. God has this sovereign plan, this incredible plan that he's inviting you into. And at the heart of it, at the foundation of it, at the purpose of it, to bring you joy and gladness. Um, It's incredible. But more than that, after the comma in verse 14, and many will rejoice at his birth, Living in God's plan not only brings you joy, but it brings joy to those around you. Have you considered that when you live in joy, the product of your life, let me say that again, the product of the thing that comes out of you, what, what you produce is joy in and around you. Have you guys ever been around a terminally happy person? Like, like they, just, they just bring joy. And this is, this is what happens when you're invited into the plan of God. God brings you joy, and God brings joy through you. Verse 15. Talk, this is John the Baptist that they're talking about. Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink strong wine or drink, or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. Um, imagine, like, this is an old guy. Remember, we're in a museum looking at the stuff that happened in, in the life of Jesus, and this is kind of a precursor to Christ, and now the angel of the Lord comes and says, don't be afraid, something really cool is about to happen to you. And this thing that's really cool that's going to happen to you is you're going to have a son, and you're old, you don't think you can have a son, and the response is that this baby, this child that's in your wife's womb will bring many children of Israel, many people to the Lord their God. Verse 17, and he will go before him, and the spirit of the power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom and the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And like, we have enough, and we'll see this in, in the coming weeks as we, we study in the book of Luke, we have the, we're looking back at this event to know that John the Baptist's life was awful at the end of it. He was beheaded by a man who was supposed to be his friend, for telling the truth to his friend. And so the end of John's life is not good. But here at the beginning, his purpose to living in God's plan is incredible, bringing people to the Lord, bringing joy to himself and to those around him. It makes me think about this. God is always working his plan in us. Here's, the, here's a, a deep fact, the truth that we can pull out of this message this morning from this passage. God is always working his plan in us. And this is a, a crazy juxtaposition for me. I've, this week, 
I've got this message and, and these three statements I've, that I'm, a, I'm giving this. This is the first one of three. God's plan is always working in us. It's in my head. This is what I, I be, believe that God intends for me to communicate to you guys. God is always working his plan. And now I'm in this civil rights museum. And I, I found this fact this week. Um, they made a law that said that a child of a slave was whatever his mother was, he was. If mom's free, he's free. If mom is a slave, he's a slave. You follow that? It, it follows the mom, not the dad. And the reason was because a slave owner could create slaves. You follow that? How gruesome that is? A slave owner could impregnate his slave so that she would give birth to a baby who would also be his slave. And that was the law of our country. And that's miserable. That's, that's terrible. It makes me want to weep and punch somebody. Like we created that law so we could actually manufacture a human being to be our slave. And so this, this is the juxtaposition. I go in this museum before I read that. Knowing that I'm going to come to you and say, God's plan is always working in us. But we're broken. And we do ridiculous things that we can see are so stupid and wrong and against God's plan. But God is sovereign even over all of that. Working his plan in us. He's also working his plan around us. And he's often working his plan through us. You see the difference. God is always working his plan in us. God is always working his plan around us. And often, not always, he's working his plan through us. And again, back to the, the verses before, God, when we are in the midst of God's plan, joy and gladness surround us. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall we know this? For I'm an old man and my wife has advanced in years. Doubt creeps into Zechariah's heart. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. So much that we can learn from this, this verse. Zechariah doubts. God's messenger comes and, and confronts that doubt and tears it away. We can, you can doubt all you want. Doubt is, is not always a bad thing. Doubt can be a bad thing. Doubt can be a good thing. Here, the, the messenger of God comes before this man and chases away the doubt and was sent to speak this good news. By the way, that good news is, it's euangelion, the word we have for evangelical. And I know evangelical is a miserable word in 2018, United States of America. We all want to run away from it, but it simply just means good news. I want to punch the people who've hijacked the word good news. Um, but this angel stands in the presence of God and is sent to proclaim this message that this great and incredible thing is going to happen. But there's a consequence to the disbelief 
the, the drawback of Zechariah, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So I'm driving back uh, on the bus from Memphis to St. Louis on Thursday evening after I've just experienced the Civil Rights Museum and, and being in, under great preaching with, with incredible brothers and friends. And it's just been an incredible time. And I can't wait to share that with, with you guys. I can't wait to share that with my, my wife and my kids and my friends. I can't wait to share all the stories about what happened. I can't. It's really exciting. Zechariah doesn't get this. He encounters Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. He encounters him. And, and God speaks this message in this quiet place profoundly that's going to be great joy and gladness and all these things. And, and Zechariah can't, can't tell anybody about it. Um. God is going to accomplish his grand redemptive plan with or without you. With or without your belief. He's going to accomplish his grand plan with or without your obedience. This is your God. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. When we doubt, when we're disobedient, when we don't believe, we miss all of the joy that God has for us. But we don't thwart his plans. And that's, that's really really good news. We, we, we can mess stuff up, but God, we cannot thwart his plans. Um, God wants you to join him in his work. And this is like the, the thing that I want to proclaim to us from this message at the heart of it is God intends for us to join him in his work. God wants to do incredible things in your heart and wants to do incredible things in your life and wants to do incredible things in our city. God intends to do that. And he, we cannot thwart that plan. But we can sacrifice our joy in the midst of that plan. Not only that, but our actions, our unbelief, our doubt, our messed upness. There we go again, making up words. Um, our messed upness affects others. What, like, wouldn't it have been incredible? How, do you think that the people that Zechariah was priest over, and back in that day, the priest's job was to, was to argue on behalf of, of their people. So these are Zechariah's people that Zechariah can't talk to. They were harmed. They didn't experience the fullness of what just happened because of Zechariah's doubt. As, a, as your pastor, that really freaks me out. Big time. Um, but it's, it's the truth. But we're, first of all, it, it breaks down a bit because we're all priests. We all have complete access to God. You don't need me to approach God. You don't need me to approach God. You can approach God whenever you want. However, our, our disbelief, our sin, our brokenness can affect other people. Our actions affect others. 
Um, it, Zechariah's unbelief kept him from his full duties as priest. When you're a priest, you need to be able to speak. He couldn't speak. And I, I think of the, the sweet, intimate moments that my wife and I have had throughout like, her pregnancies and, and just getting to, to experience the kicks of the baby or the birth of a baby or the excitement, the anticipation of the baby, the preparing the house for the baby to come. All those things, Zechariah didn't get to experience it fully because he, he couldn't speak. Um, and it cost him the, the opportunity to be able to tell others about this incredible moment. But, and this is what I want to leave us with, and I want to have ringing in your head, um, God is sovereign always. He accomplishes his plan always. He's inviting you into that plan. Um, what's happening in your world that brings you stress, that brings you strife, that brings you fear. Think about that. What's happening in your world that brings you strife or stress or fear? God is sovereign always. God is accomplishing his plan always. And he's inviting you into that plan. And the message of Luke proclaims, just trust him. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, this moment. Father, um, I confess to you that I, this morning I'm joyful, I'm happy, I'm excited uh, about what you're doing. I'm content in who you are and your provision for our lives, and I'm content with the life that you've given to me. I'm joyful because of my bride and be joyful because of my family, joyful because of my friends and joyful because of this church. I'm joyful in so many ways, Father. Thank you. But Lord, I'm... As those last words ring in my head that you're sovereign always. I'm reminded of stressful things in my world. Reminded of my melancholy from last week. God, I pray that you would just draw me into your presence and allow me to fully trust in who you are. God, and for those here in this place, God, I know the stories, God. The things that people fear. The things that bring hurt and trust and a lack of trust and doubt and wonder. Lord, I pray in this moment, God, with all the fervency that I can muster, God, I pray that you would allow us all to just trust you, that you are sovereign always and you have a plan always and you're working that plan and you're inviting us in to that plan, Father. 
to see and experience you. God, for wayward children, for for difficulties, for for harshness in our worlds and harshness in our lives and and uncertainty of the future and uncertainty of of moments and, and the brokenness of our friends and the hurt that we've caused in our pasts. God, would you enter into our hearts in this moment and proclaim that you are sovereign and you're in control and you're working these things out? God, may we rest in the beauty of who you are. Thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.